Welcome to Celebrate Poe. My name is George Bartley, and this is episode 135, Poe's Halloween Poems. The music for the intro and outro to this podcast is from Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. This month, Celebrate Poe is looking at Edgar Allan Poe and some of his connections to Halloween. Now, 19th century America certainly didn't celebrate Halloween the way we do, especially with all the commercialism. But uh, Poe's thinking was no doubt influenced by the rituals and celebration of Samhain. He even wrote about Stonehenge, one of the early sites where Samhain rituals were said to be performed. And if the word Samhain is new to you, then why not go back to last week's episode for a little bit about the history of Halloween. I've mentioned earlier in this podcast, when I lived in West Virginia, I worked for the West Virginia Humanities Council. I did a great deal of research about Poe, dressed up to look like the writer, and would go to various schools, book fairs, libraries, and literary events and do a program as Poe, first relating the story of my life as the character of Poe, then answering questions still in character, and then as myself about my research into Poe's life and times. As you can imagine, October was always the busiest time. Well, because of Halloween, and Poe is frequently known as the Halloween poet. Today I would like to delve into two poems that I always included in any presentation. The first is from Poe's first published work, Tamerlane and Other Poems, and the second is arguably the most famous poem in the English language. Then this episode will end with a poem that Kevin J. Hayes, the editor of the Cambridge Companion to Edgar Allan Poe, has called the greatest Halloween poem in all of American literature. Well, hello, Mr. Poe. Greetings, Mr. Bartley. Now, you probably remembered from the last episode of Celebrate Poe that I wanted to delve into some of your poems that uh, embody the Halloween spirit. And I'd like to, if you would, I'd like for you to read them. Yes, Mr. Bartley, uh, that could prove to be most intriguing. And I'm most happy that you asked me to read from my poetry. Though I never read from my prose works in front of an audience. Well, first, here's a poem from your first published work, Tamerlane and Other Poems. The poem is called Spirits of the Dead. Spirits of the Dead. Thy soul shall find itself alone mid dark thoughts of the gray tombstone. Not one of all the crowd to pry unto thine hour of secrecy. Be silent in that solitude, which is not loneliness, for then the spirits of the dead who stood in life before thee are again in death around thee, and their will shall overshadow thee. Be still. The night, though clear, shall frown, and the stars shall look not down from their high thrones in the heaven 
with light like hope to mortals given. But their red orbs without beam to thy weariness shall seem as a burning and a fever which would cling to thee forever. Now are thoughts that shall not banish. Now are visions ne'er to vanish. From thy spirit shall they pass, no more like dewdrop from the grass. The breeze, the breath of God is still, and the mist upon the hill, shadowy, shadowy yet unbroken, is a symbol and a token. How it hangs upon the trees, a mystery of mysteries. Mr. Poe, that always gives me chills. Well, Mr. Bartley, thank you. And Mr. Poe, uh, you may be honored, though not surprised, that in portraying you uh, in West Virginia, I always included a recitation of The Raven. Yes, I, I, I felt at the time uh, that I wrote The Raven, uh, I had written the greatest poem ever written by an American. For those of you who may not be familiar, well, the poem was first published in January 1845. The poem is often noted for its musicality, stylized language, and overall supernatural atmosphere. The Raven is probably known by many people from Homer Simpson's rendition at Halloween time on The Simpsons. The poem tells of a talking raven's mysterious visit to a disfraught lover, tracing the man's slow descent into madness. I could go on and on and on, and definitely will in the future, delving into the meanings and dynamics of the raven. But for now, Mr. Poe, uh, would you read your most famous work for those listening? Certainly. Once... Upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more." Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my book surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more." Presently, my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. 
darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that that this something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment in this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when with many a flit and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace, just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy, into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven. Ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly. Though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as Nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather, then he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I, what it uttered is its only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking, fancy under fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining, on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, 
she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfume from an unseen censer, swung by a seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still of bud or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore. Desolate yet all undanted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror hanted, tell me truly, I implore. Is the is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet said, I think of evil, prophet still of bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore. Tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenoa, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenoa. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting, Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian show up. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. Thank you very much, Mr. Poe. Uh, at the ending of the poem, uh, I imagine that a raven is still sitting on uh, that bust of the Greek god of war, staring down at a shadow on the floor. Uh, is the shadow the body of the narrator, or does the shadow represent hope that now exists nevermore? Well, now for the last poem in this episode— uh, let me uh, introduce it with a passage uh, by Poe expert Kevin J. Hayes from Edgar Allan Poe, the poet of Halloween. Mr. Hayes writes, The night before Halloween, a couple of years ago, a friend telephoned in a panic. I'm going to a Halloween party tomorrow, he told me. Every guest must bring a poem to read aloud. With no idea what poem would be appropriate, he was calling his friendly neighborhood English professor to ask for some advice. Without hesitation, I recommended Edgar Allan Poe's Ulalume, which I consider the greatest Halloween poem in the history of American literature. Set in a graveyard on Halloween, the night the dead arise, the poem is filled with all kinds of woodlandish ghouls that guide the path of a lover on the way to the tomb of his beloved. 
Now, as I understand it, Ulalum was written for the American Review in 1847. Two years before, this same magazine published The Raven for the first time. Isn't that right, Mr. Poe? Yes, Mr. Bartley. Uh, the poem takes a place on a night in the lonesome October with a gray sky as the leaves are withering for the autumn season. So you have a, a, a Halloween connection right there. Yes, Mr. Bartley. Uh, the narrator roams with a volcanic heart in the region of Weir by the Lake of Arba. He has a, a serious and sober talk with his soul, though he does not realize it is October or even where he is roaming or where it might lead him. He remarks on the stars as night fades away and wonders if he knows that the tears on his cheeks have not yet dried. Very strange. Yes, yes, his soul, however, mistrusts the star and where it is leading. Just as the narrator calms his soul, he realizes he has unconsciously walked to the vault of his lost Ulalum on the very night he had buried her or buried her a year before. Sounds like it has a very Annabelle Lee vibe. And uh, your descendant, Dr. Harry Lee Poe, I know, believes that the subject of the poem was your wife, Virginia, uh, as she was dying from consumption. I could go on and on and on and explain what all of the proper names, such as Arbor, Weir, and Psyche mean, but many people believe the poem was written as an elocution lesson, where sound is more important. It might be more effective to let the words pour over you and not worry as much about their meaning. After all, fear and dread is not something you intellectually understand, but something you fear. So, Mr. Poe, would you read uh, Ulalum for us? Certainly. The skies, they were ashen and sober. The leaves, they were crisped and sere. The leaves, they were withering and sere. It was night in the lonesome October of my most immemorial year. It was hard by the dim lake of Arba in the misty mid-region of Weir. It was down by the dark tarn of Arba in the ghoul-hanted woodland of Weir. Here once through an alley titanic of cypress I roamed with my soul, of cypress with Psyche my soul. These were days when my heart was volcanic at the, as the scoriac rivers that roll, as the lavas that restlessly roll, their sulfurous currents down Yannick in the ultimate climbs of the pole that groan as they roll down Mount Yannick in the realms of the boreal pole. Our talk had been serious and sober, but our thoughts, they were palsied and seer. Our memories were treacherous and seer, for we knew not the month was October, and we mocked not the night of the year. Ah, night of all nights in the year. We noted not the dim lake of Arba, though once we had journeyed down here, remembered not the dark tarn of Arba, nor the ghoul-hanted woodland of Weir. 
And now, as the gnat was senescent and star dials pointed to Moan, and as the star dials hinted of Moan, at the end of our path, a liquescent and nebulous luster was born, out of which a miraculous crescent arose with a duplicate horn. Astarte's bediamond crescent, distinct with its duplicate horn. And I said, she is warmer than Diane. She rolls through an ether of sighs. She rebel, rebels in a region of sighs. She is seen that the tears are not dry on these cheeks where the worm never dies and has come past the stars of the lion to point us the path to the skies, to the Lethean peace of the skies, come up in despite of the lion to shine us with her, on us with her bright eyes, come up through the lair of the lion with love in her luminous eyes. But Saki, uplifting her finger, said sadly, This star I mistrust, her parlor I strangely mistrust. And hasten, ah, let us not linger, ah, fly, let us fly, for we must. In terror she spoke, letting sink her wings until they trailed in the dust. In agony sob, letting sink her plumes till they trailed in the dust, till they sorrowfully trailed in the dust. I replied, this is nothing but dreaming. Let us on by this tremulous light. Let us bathe in this crystalline light. Its sibilic splendor is beaming with hope and in beauty tonight. See, it flickers up the sky through the night. Ah, we safely may trust to its gleaming and be sure it will lead us aright. We safely may trust to a gleaming that cannot but guide us aright, since it flickers up to heaven through the night. Then I pacified Psyche and kissed her and tempted her out of her gloom and conquered her scruples and gloom and we passed to the end of the vista but were stopped by the door of a tomb, by the door of a legended tomb. And I said, What is written, sweet sister, on the door of this legended tomb? She replied, Ulalum, Ulalum, tis the tomb of thy lost Ulalum. Then my heart, it grew ashen and sober, as the leaves that were crisped and sear, as the leaves that were withering and sear. And I cried, it was surely October, on this very night of last year, that I journeyed, I journeyed down here, that, that, I, that I brought a dread burden down here, on this night of all nights in the year. Ah, oh, what demon hath tempted me here? Well, I know now this dim lake of Arba, this misty mid-region of Weir. Well, I know now this dark tarn of Arba, this ghoul-hanted woodland of Weir. Ah, Mr. Bartley, I I must take my leave. Farewell. Bye, Mr. Poe. Next week, join Celebrate Poe for a very special look at what is arguably Edgar Allan Poe's most famous story in an episode called, Why Will You Say I Am Mad? As we point out the story's richness and how it deals with guilt and insanity.
Sources include the Cambridge Companion to Edgar Allan Poe, edited by Kevin J. Hayes, Edgar Allan Poe, The Poet of Halloween, also by Kevin J. Hayes, and The Complete Works of Edgar Allan Poe by Edgar Allan Poe. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe, a deep dive into the life, times, and works of America's Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe.